السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners Once again we gather for the monthly tafsir of the Holy Quran Having started from the end of the Quran with Surah Al-Nas We've now reached let me read the surah and translate it before sharing a few thoughts on its commentary. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Alam nashrah laka Have we not parted your bosom? And have we not removed from you your burden? Which weighed down heavily on you. Literally, الذي أنقض ظهرك, which broke your back, but figuratively, which weighed down heavily on you. ورفعنا لك ذكرك, and have we not elevated your mention? فإن مع العسر يسرا, for indeed, with difficulty there is ease. In the ma'al usri yusra, verily with difficulty there is ease. فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ فَانْصَبْ So when you are relieved, then strive. وَإِلَى رَبِّكَ فَرْغَبْ And unto your Lord, hasten. This is a very simple translation of these verses of Surah Al-Nashrah. This surah is known as Surah Al-Sharh, Surah Al-Inshirah, as well as the most famous name, Surah Al-Nashrah. As I mentioned in last month's tafsir of Surah Al-Duha, I 
changed the routine slightly and completed the tafsir of Surah Al-Duha, which comes before this. This is the 94th Surah. Surah Al-Duha is the 93rd. And even though it starts from the back of the Qur'an, I completed Surah Al-Duha 93 first before this Surah. For the main reason that these two Surahs are closely connected. And the topic is one and the same. And Surat Al-Nashrah can actually be regarded as a continuation of Surat Al-Duha. In both of these Surahs, the language, style, and even the mode of address are all the same. Allah directly addresses the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah asks him a number of questions. And this is the same in both surahs. In fact, there is a hadith related by various authors in which the it's related that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, I asked Allah something which I wish I had never asked. I said to Allah, O my Lord, there were prophets before me for whom the winds were made subservient. This is a reference to Suleiman alayhi salam. And there were prophets before me who resurrected the dead, a reference to the Prophet Isa alayhi salam. So he said, Oh my Lord, there were prophets before me for whom the winds were made subservient. The wind was made subservient. And those who resurrected the dead. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said this to Allah in a manner which suggested that he desired the same, or it was a question as to why he wasn't given the same. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to him in reply, Did I not find you an orphan and sheltered you? Did I not find you in search and guided you? Did I not find you in need and enriched you? Did I not expand your bosom? And did I not elevate your name and mention? The reason for mention that, that that's a hadith. So the reason for mentioning this particular hadith here is that it shows the connection between both surahs. Prophet ﷺ said, I asked my Lord something which I wish I had never asked him. And he mentioned to Allah, in a pleading manner, that there were prophets before me. Some of them, the wind was made subservient for them. 
a reference to Prophet Suleiman Some of them they resurrected the dead, a reference to the Prophet Isa So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in reply told him that, O Messenger of Allah, look at what you have been given. And then Allah enumerated a number of things. And they were, did I not find you an orphan and sheltered you? Did I not find you in search and guided you? Did I not find you in need and enriched you? These three are a reference to the three verses of Surah Al-Duha, in which Allah says, أَلَمْ يَجِدْكَ يَتِيمًا فَآوَى وَوَجَدَكَ ضَالًا فَهْدَى وَوَجَدَكَ عَائِلًا فَأَغْنَى And then, the, the last two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, And did I not expand your bosom? And did I not elevate your mention and name? Again, this is a reference to the verses of Surah Alam Nashrah. So what this hadith shows, once again, that these two surahs are closely connected. In fact, some of the ulama of the past amongst the tabi'een would recite both surahs in the same rak'ah of salah without Bismillahirrahmanirrahim or a break in between. So they would read Surah Al-Duha followed by Surah Adam Nashrah. So in view of the fact that both surahs are closely connected, their topics are very similar, in fact one and the same, what is the topic of both surahs? Going beyond the detailed commentary of each verse, if we look at the gist of both surahs, they are about consoling the Prophet ﷺ, strengthening his heart, giving him steadfastness, granting him solace and comfort and inspiration and reassurance. This is what both surahs are about. And if I can just quickly translate the previous surah and remind us again of its contents. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالضُّحَى وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا سَجَى By the mid-morning brightness and the night when it settles in its darkness. مَا وَدَّعْكَ رَبُّكَ وَمَا قَدَى Your Lord has not forsaken you and nor has he taken a dislike unto you. وَلَلْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ لَكَ مِنَ الْأُولَى And verily the Afterlife is better for you than the former life. Or the latter is better for you than the former. And your Lord will give you until you are content. Did he not find you an orphan and gave you shelter? And did he not find you in search? And guided you. And did he not find you in need and then enriched you? So the orphan, therefore, therefore the orphan do not suppress. And as for the beggar, do not rebuke him. Do not scold him. وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثِ And as for the gift of your Lord, 
speak thereof. Then immediately thereafter are these verses. Alam nashrah laka sadrak. Did we not expand your bosom? Wadarna anka wizrak. And did we not remove from you your burden? Alladhi anqada dhahrak. That which broke your back. Literally. But the meaning is figurative. Which, that which bore down heavily on you. وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ And did we, not, did we not elevate your name and your praise and mention? فَإِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى إِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى Verily with difficulty there is ease. Verily with difficulty there is ease. فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ فَانْصَرْ So when you are relieved, i.e. when you have completed your work, your task, when you are free, فَانْصَرْ Strive, tire yourself. وَإِلَى رَبِّكَ فَرْغَبْ And unto your Lord make haste. Seek a path unto your Lord. These are the verses of Surah Al-Nashrah, and with the translation it should be very clear and evident that it's a follow-on to the verses of Surah Al-Duha. Now, what exactly is the meaning of these verses, and when were they revealed? Shortly or immediately after Surah Al-Duha, and Surah Al-Duha was revealed in the early, early days of the Prophet Wasallam's life in Mecca. And this was following a very short gap, a very small gap, during which the Prophet ﷺ had not prayed to Allah at night, and he had not been visited by Jibreel ﷺ. Following this short break in his meeting with Jibreel ﷺ and in his receiving revelation from Allah, both Ummul Mu'mineen Khadijah anha, out of concern told him, that I notice that you have not been visited by your companion Jibreel And she shared his grief and his anxiety. For he was anxious. On the other hand, when his enemies learned of the absence of Jibreel and the Prophet not receiving any revelation, they taunted him. A member of his family, the wife of Abu Lahab, she taunted him, saying that it seems as though your uh, your shaitan has not visited you. <coughs> and I hope that your Lord has forsaken you. And the pagans, on a wider scale, taunted the Prophet wasallam. Of course, the Prophet ﷺ was grieved by these taunts, but more than their jests and their jibes, more than their jest and their jibes and their taunts, the Prophet ﷺ himself felt saddened and grieved that that connection between him and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, that connection of revelation, had been temporarily severed. So this concerned the Prophet ﷺ far more than the 
taunts and the jibes of the pagans, which of course grieved him. But what concerned him more was the lack, the loss of connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah Azza wa Jal reassured him, comforted him, gave him solace, and reminded him that your Lord has not forsaken you, he has not taken a dislike unto you. And indeed Allah loves you. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in Surah Al-Duha and then in Surah Al-Nashrah what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam means to Allah azza wa jal. And the general message is that indeed, O Messenger of Allah, you are suffering. You suffer the jibes and the taunts of the enemies, of the pagans. You suffer poverty. You suffer, you suffer lack of resources, lack of numbers, lack of companions. You suffer loneliness. You suffer solitude. And yet, never forget that one, your Lord has not abandoned you. If others dislike you, your Lord loves you. If others taunt you, your Lord praises you. If others cast jibes at you, your Lord elevates your name and your mention. If you feel that you are impoverished, you are in need, you lack resources, you lack numbers, you lack strength, you are being tried and tested. And the Prophet ﷺ was being tried and tested in many ways. If you feel that the burden is heavy on you, and which burden is Allah speaking of? I will come to that in a moment. But if you feel that the burden is heavy on you, then do not worry, Allah will lighten your burden. But in all of this suffering, in the face of such enmity, such aggression, such persecution, never forget that the afterlife is better for you than this life. And the latter is better for you than the former. And what I mean by the latter is better for you than the former is times may be difficult for you now, Messenger of Allah, but relief will come in later days. But even in the days of relief, when you will feel that at least I can now breathe safely, I can now breathe a sigh of relief. I can now be a bit more comfortable than I was before. Even though these days of relief will be coming, you should never forget that even in those days of relief, that the later life is better for you than this life. And then the akhirah is far better for you than this dunya. And even in these moments of relief, what should you do? Relax. Recuperate? No. Rather, you should tire yourself in the ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you should race and rush and make haste only to your Lord. So there are many messages in these two surahs. Primarily, 
these two surahs are a reminder to the Prophet ﷺ, being addressly direct, being addressed directly to him, addressing only him and exclusively him, even though the message is general for his followers. But the pronouns and the modes of address, the words of address, are all a direct and exclusive reference to the Prophet ﷺ. This is why these two surahs are about the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his noble messenger ﷺ. I'll say more about the general meaning of both surahs later, but let's look at each of these verses of Surah Alam Nishrah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Alam Nishrah Did we not part your heart? Did we not expand your bosom? What is this actually a reference to? Primarily, it's a figurative expression. And not so much a reference to the physical parting of the Prophet ﷺ's heart. Even though that is also true. But primarily, the wording is such, and the connection with the other verses is such, that it's a reference to the solace and comfort and reassurance and inspiration and conviction of the Prophet ﷺ and the granting of steadfastness and strength to his heart. This is what the primary meaning of Alam Nashrah al-Qasadraq is. We can best understand this verse in light of other verses of the Holy Qur'an. In Surah Taha, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala quotes the Prophet Musa alayhi salam when he was sent to challenge Fir'aun, Pharaoh, and to speak to Pharaoh. The Prophet Musa alayhi salam suffered a speech impediment. But not only that, remember he had also fled the land of Egypt, fearing for his life. For he had unintentionally and inadvertently killed a man. Prophet Musa alayhi salam had fled Egypt, and yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now telling him to go back to that same land of Egypt where he was being hunted and his people were being persecuted. And he was told, Go and speak to the same Pharaoh. So the Prophet Musa alayhi salam prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah quotes and qal, Rabbi Shrahli Sadri wa Yasili Amri. Oh my Lord, expand my bosom for me. And make easy for me my task. And unravel the knot in my tongue. I remove the impediments in my tongue, of my speech. يفقه قولي so that they may understand my words. And he prayed further that his brother Harun alayhi salam could be his support and his strength. But again that verse shows us 
that sadri, O oh my Lord, expand my bosom for me. In another verse of the Quran, Surah Al-An'am, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَمِنْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ أَنْ يَهْدِيَهُ يَشْرَحْ صَدْرَهُ لِلْإِسْلَامِ So whomsoever Allah wishes to guide, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expands his bosom for Islam. Allah opens his heart for Islam. There are other verses as well. What these verses show, that the primary meaning of the opening of the heart the parting of the heart, the expanding of, the, of one's bosom and chest, is figurative, not literal. And it's a reference to, it signifies conviction, reassurance, inspiration, strength of belief, calmness, composure, solace and comfort, ease. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says even to the Prophet sallallahu But if Allah chooses to guide a single person, a normal man or woman from his creation, and Allah says that he expands his or her bosom and opens his or her heart, and then Allah says that we have opened your heart, O Messenger of Allah, what is the difference? And the contrast to the opening of the heart, the expanding of the bosom, which again shows that this is figurative, is that in, in that same verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that whomsoever Allah wishes to mislead, يَجْعَلْ صَدْرَهُ ضَيِّقًا حَرَجًا ضَيِّقًا حَرَجًا كَأَنَّمَا يَسَّعْدُ فِي السَّمَاءِ that whomsoever Allah wishes to mislead, Allah makes his heart restricted, troubled, as though he is rising in the sky. A person who climbs higher and higher, a person who is being lifted up to the sky, a person who is being carried away, who loses control over himself or herself, and in modern terms, the higher you go, the less the oxygen. The higher you go, the less the pressure. And this, this leads to difficulty in breathing, the constri- con- constriction of the heart. So, and the air supply. But that's another point. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, whomsoever Allah wishes to mislead and misguide, Allah restricts and constricts their heart and their bosom and makes it troubled as though he is rising in the sky. So this is the opposite and the contrast to the expanding of a person's bosom. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expands the bosom of any normal man or woman, what's so special about saying to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, alam nashrah lika sadrak? Have we not expanded your bosom? Have we not opened your heart? Well, there's a world of difference. The Prophet ﷺ, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened his heart, it was to the greatest secrets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
It wants to that great connection between him and Allah And he was in such a way that if we were to <clears throat> imagine the courage and the valor of all of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ who surrounded him, together and collectively, the Prophet ﷺ was more valiant and courageous than all of them put together. In the face of persecution, in the face of enmity, not only was the Prophet ﷺ brave, but his heart did not even flutter. He remained calm, composed. Even when he was overwhelmed, he may have been saddened as a human, as a person, but as Rasulullah his heart was forever connected with Allah. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to the Prophet sallallahu heart being expanded. I'm just reminded of one single sentence which shows his position. How convinced, how steadfast, how comfortable the Prophet sallallahu was. How content he was. When Abu Talib, his own uncle, to whom the Prophet ﷺ owed much, and up to whom he looked as a father figure, when he was constantly visited by the chieftains of the Quraysh, and social pressure was being applied on him. And Abu Talib, under pressure, spoke to the Prophet ﷺ and said to him, they told him that your nephew, has made tried to make fools of our intelligent and wise ones. He has tried to make us look like fools. He has divided families. He has insulted our gods. He has forsaken the way of our forefathers. He has divided our people. He has split families. Oh, Wudalib. Either you restrain your nephew or remove yourself and stand aside so that we can deal with him personally and directly. So when Abu Talib felt this pressure, he addressed the Prophet ﷺ and said to him, Oh nephew, you have placed me in a very difficult position. And he pleaded with him. Not to continue with his message. Not to say what the Prophet ﷺ was saying. What, what was the Prophet ﷺ's reply? Abu Talib was his only pillar of support. Since he was the leader of Banu Hashim. And being the leader of Banu Hashim in a land where there was no authority, no law, no security. His only pillar of support was his family. And even then, his family only could only support him because of the leader of the clan, Abu Talib. Otherwise, as I've mentioned, years later when Abu Talib passed away, 
the same clan, Abu uh, Hashim, the Prophet ﷺ, lost their support. Even though these were his, this was his immediate family. And this is why he went elsewhere looking for someone to offer him material support as far as the dunya was concerned. Why did he suddenly, overnight, lose the support and the security of Banu Hashim? Because Abu Talib passed away and leadership immediately went to Abu Lahab. And Abu Lahab, despite being his uncle, was his most bitter enemy. So the, the family had to submit to the authority of Abu Lahab. Without Abu Lahab's approval, the family could not support the Prophet ﷺ. Individually, they may have supported him, they may have wished to support him, but as a clan, they bowed and submitted and deferred to authority. So even though they may have disliked Abu Lahab, they submitted to his authority. So the Prophet ﷺ lost the support of Banu Hashim because of Abu Lahab. Now, in a similar light, the only person upholding that support was Abu Talib. Yet, what did the Prophet ﷺ say to him when the same Abu Talib pleaded with his nephew that abandon your message, renounce your call, and do not continue with whatever you are saying? Prophet ﷺ said, O oh my uncle, if they were to place the sun in my right hand and the moon in my left hand and demand of me that I abandon this call, by Allah, I will not abandon it. That is the meaning of Alam Nashrah Sadrak. Did we not open your heart? Did we not expand your bosom? And everything about the Prophet his steadfastness, his, so- his being consoled by Allah, his being comforted by Allah, his conviction and his contentment, his oneness in the face of opposition, his consistency, his unswerving, unwavering in the face of such opposition, enmity and persecution, all of this was due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opening up his heart and expanding his bosom. As I said, this is primarily the, primarily this is the meaning of Alam Nashrah Sadrak. Did we not expand your bosom? It's figurative. However, it is also, also a correct reference to the physical parting of the chest of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this happened on two occasions. Once when the Prophet ﷺ was a child in the care of Banu Sa'id and Hadima Sa'diyah his milk mother. That was the first time. And on the second occasion, in the 50th year approximately of Hijrah, after the passing away of Abu Talib and after the passing away of Umm Mu'mineen Khadijah radiyallahu anha, and in fact, after the revelation of this surah, much later, on the occasion of Mi'raj, Isra and Mi'raj, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam embarked on that miraculous journey of the heavens, and from al-Masjid al-Haram to al-Masjid al-Aqsa, before embarking on that journey, and in preparation for that journey, 
it's narrated in the ahadith that the Prophet wasallam, Imam Bukhari and others all relate. Now again, this is a very authentic hadith related from Anas ibn Malik and a number of other companions, Malik ibn Sa'sa'a, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari and others. They all relate that the Prophet wasallam said that whilst I was in al-Masjid al-Haram, angels came to him. Angels came to me and they brought a tray in some narrations of gold and filled with the water of Zimzim. And they lay me down and split open my chest. And when Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu an, <clears throat> what did they do? They split open my chest and Jibreel alayhi salam washed the inner part of the Prophet sallallahu body with the water of Zimzim. That's how blessed Zimzim is. It was good enough for the Prophet sallallahu heart and his interior to be washed and blessed with the water of Zimzim. So, and then Jibreel alayhi salam sealed the heart of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So Qatada, one of the students of Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu he actually asked Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu that what are you referring to when you say split open his chest? So Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu actually clarified that all the way from here till the bottom of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's stomach. And that's in the hadith. So this is the a reference to the second incident. So as I said, there were two incidents of the physical parting of the chest and the bosom of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And both are from authentic narrations. So on the one hand, let me refer to the occasion when he was a child. Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi, Imam Nasai, and other authors of hadith. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Muslim. They all relate, from again from the same Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu, he says that the Prophet ﷺ said, the Prophet ﷺ was playing with the children, his milk brothers, the children of Halima radiallahu anha Sa'diyya. <coughs> Whilst he was playing with those children, and this was when his mother was still alive, when he was approximately two to three years old before he returned to his mother for the final time at the age of four. So it was before that. So the Prophet ﷺ, he may have been at the age of, uh, closer to the age of four, because after that, Halima Sa'diyya took him back to his mother Amina, and she requested to keep him, but Amina, uh, the Prophet ﷺ's mother insisted on uh, not sending him back. In any case... The, the Prophet ﷺ was playing with children when the angels came. And to, the, to his brothers and his playmates, they didn't know they were angels. They just saw them as men. So they seized the Prophet ﷺ and lay him down. And the, again, they opened up his heart. And Jibreel ﷺ took out a piece from inside the Prophet ﷺ and cast it away. And he actually exclaimed, 
This is your share from shaitan. So this is your share of shaitan, meaning shaitan's share inside you. Prophet Jibreel took that share, just a small piece, and cast it away. Again, this is to be found in authentic hadith. So then they once again seal the bosom and the chest and torso of the Prophet The brothers, when they witnessed this spectacle, or the very beginning, they fled to their parents. And they told him that our brother has died. They thought he had been killed. So then when they turned around, when the family wished to search for him in panic, the Prophet ﷺ suddenly arrived, pale-faced and having lost the colour of his face. But he was safe. That was his first experience. And the second experience of his chest and of his heart being physically opened and parted is on the occasion when he was approximately 46 years later, when just before he travelled and embarked on that miraculous journey to Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, from Al-Masjid Al-Haram, and from there onwards to the heavens, the journey of Isra and Mi'raj. So again, his, his heart was washed, and his chest was opened and sealed again. Anas bin Malik says that I would actually see the stitches of the Prophet on his body. So the mark that remained of his body being sealed again, Anas bin Malik again says in these authentic narrations that I would actually see those stitches on the noble body of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So, although this is true and it happened, the second occasion was after the revelation of this surah, but the first occasion was before in his childhood. But the point I'm trying to make is, Alam nashrah sadrak, did we not expand your bosom? Primarily, this is a reference to the figurative meaning. But the physical meaning is also true. And I've explained both. Did we not expand your bosom? And did we not remove your burden, which broke your back, which bore down heavily on you? What was this burden, which was so cumbersome, so weighty, on the Prophet which when Allah removed it, it was similar to the expansion of his heart. This burden was the burden of responsibility, of prophethood, of messengership, of guiding people. And the worry and concern of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in favor of his people. Allah says in Surah Al-Kahf, فَلَعَلَّكَ بَاخِعُ النَّفْسَكَ عَلَىٰ آثَارِهِمْ إِنْ لَمْ يُؤْمِنُوا بِهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ أَسَفًا O Messenger of Allah, فَلَعَلَّكَ بَاخِعُ النَّفْسَكَ Perhaps, 
you will cause your soul to perish. Literally, you will kill yourself. Perhaps you will kill yourself. But a better translation would be, perhaps you will cause your soul to perish. In their wake. If they do not believe in this speech of Allah, i.e. in this Qur'an, out of sorrow and grief. This was the burden of Rasulullah He was so concerned for his ummah. He was so eager. He felt the weight of the responsibility of guiding the people. And he felt the burden of their misguidance and of their waywardness and of their being lost in such a way that he broke the back of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And as Allah says, it seemed as though Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasallam's soul would depart out of grief and sorrow because people would not believe in the Qur'an. That was his concern. And it was that concern which ultimately led him to changing hearts. We speak about sincerity of intention. Sincerity achieves so much. One can imagine the sincerity of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa what sincerity? His call, his message, his concern was not superficial. It was so serious, it was so sincere, it was so severe that it, bro- it was about to break his back. It bore down heavily on him and his soul was actually about to depart out of grief and sorrow. So much so that Allah told him, Calm yourself, O Messenger of Allah. Perhaps it seems as though you will cause your soul to perish because they do not believe. That compassion, that passion, that concern, that sincerity was of such an intensity that when the Prophet ﷺ spoke, his sincerity shone through, and his passion conveyed itself to the other people. That's why in a, in a few words, at least those who were receptive, whose hearts and minds were open, Rasulullah ﷺ was able to transform them in an instant. But those whose hearts were sealed, those who were blind to the message, those who had no sincerity in themselves, those who had many layers between them, many layers and many drapes and curtains that fell over their hearts, even the sincerity of the Prophet ﷺ, and even the passion of his message, and even his light could not penetrate those hearts and minds. But all it took was for a person to be open themselves if their heart was open, if their mind was open. Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam merely needed to get his words to them. 
He immediately needed to pay some attention to them. And when he did, his sincerity, his passion, his concern, his sorrow and grief, all became distilled and carried itself to the other person. In an instant they were transformed. This was the burden which broke his back. Allah had to constantly remind him, وَمَا أَنْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِجَبَّارِ فَذَكِّرْ بِالْقُرْآنِ مَنْ يَخَافُ وَعِيدٌ O Messenger of Allah, you are not one who has been appointed a guardian over them. وَمَا أَنْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِجَبَّارِ Literal translation, and you are not an enforcer over them. فَذَكِّرْ بِالْقُرْآنِ Therefore remind with the Qur'an, مَنْ يَخَافُ وَعِيدٌ One who fears my threats. One who fears my promise. You are not one empowered over them. The message in all of these verses was, that, O Messenger of Allah, we understand your concern, we understand your passion, we understand your grief and sorrow, but do not let this burden you. For you need to remind yourself that you are merely responsible for reminding them and conveying the message of Allah, you are not responsible for their hearts and minds, you are not responsible for their belief or their unbelief. Therefore, do not take this burden on yourself. And eventually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made things easy for the Prophet in many ways. Allah gave him support, Allah gave him companions, Allah consoled him and comforted him. Allah gave him what the Prophet ﷺ wanted, both in the dunya and in the akhirah. What did the Prophet ﷺ want? He wanted his people to believe. And eventually, they did believe. He wanted Arabia to believe. Eventually, they did believe. But the Prophet ﷺ didn't just want that. In the Akhirah, Allah has promised him, And Allah will give you until you are content. And Allah will give him, inshaAllah, in the Akhirah, that which makes him content. And as some of the Sahaba عنهم, would say, this is the one verse which gives us the greatest hope in the entire, entire Qur'an. That your Lord will give you until you are content. And in that famous hadith, the Prophet ﷺ read verses of the Quran in which Allah in which Allah speaks of the dua of the former prophets والسلام, And when he read their dua, Rasulullah burst into tears himself. Allah sent Jibreel salam saying, even though Allah knows, go and ask my Prophet, what makes him weep? And the Prophet ﷺ exclaimed, Ummati, Ummati, my Ummah, my Ummah. Then Allah reassured him. It's a long hadith, this is just the gist of it. Allah reassured him. But we will not grieve you in your Ummah. So, وَلَسَوْفَ يُعْطِيكَ رَبُّكَ فَتَرْضَى and your Lord will give you until you are content. 
So that was the concern and the grief of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If we wish to take a lesson of sincerity, let us learn sincerity from Rasulullah alayhi salatu If there's a will, there's a way. If there's sincerity, that sincerity will shine through. Imam Malik rahmatullahi alayhi, when he compiled his muatta, his collection of hadith, Someone approached him. Humans are humans. Scholars are humans. <coughs> ulama will be men before they are ulama. And the normal disease of academic rivalry, of envy. This disease existed then as well, as it has always existed. So someone approached Imam Malik rahmatullahi alayhi and told him that others have found out about your work and your collection of hadith on the muwatta. So they are compiling their own muwatta. But the indications were that this was mere academic rivalry. But they had the pomp, they had the name. They may, they may even have had the numbers. And that's why the students of Imam Malik were concerned, because they knew that Imam Malik was sincere. But they could see signs of showmanship, of ostentation, of name-making of fame, of academic rivalry, and of open envy, of naked ambition, elsewhere. So they spoke to Imam Malik rahmatullahi out of concern. Imam Malik rahmatullahi all he said was, مَا كَانَ لِلَّهِ فَهُوَ أَبْقَى That which is for Allah will be more enduring. That's all he said. And... Again, it's just something that came to mind about sincerity. That's all Imam Malik said. Today, there is no other muwatta known than the muwatta of Imam Malik. And even if others have called their books muwatta, when we say muwatta, who is that? Imam Malik. And in fact, when you look at the ahadith, when you look at the chains of narration, we have countless books of hadith. And yet, when you look at many of these chains of narration from many different authors who came later, so many of them all passed through Imam Malik. So many of them. They all passed through Imam Malik. Not all of them, so many of them. And Imam Shafi'i, rahmatullahi alayhi, how did he describe Imam Malik? He said, Imam Malik was Allah's proof against his creation. Anyway, the, I just remembered Imam Malik because of his muwatta and his saying, Ma kana lillahi abqa. That which is for Allah is more lasting, is more enduring. Sincerity eventually shines through. But if we want to learn a lesson of sincerity, let us learn it of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
When we speak about energy today in this age of new age ideas, in this era of new age ideas, people speak about energy, positive energy, negative energy. We may not understand all this Zen and negative energy, positive energy, but subhanAllah, sincerity, purity of motive, sincerity of intention, cleanliness of heart, have, all of these things have such an energy that look at what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was able to achieve. His compassion, his passion, his concern, his grief, his worry, his desire for other people to have good. And this is why Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam says in a hadith recorded by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and others, again from that same Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, La yu'minu ahadukum. One of you cannot believe. One of you cannot believe. One of you is not a believer. Hatta until He loves for his brother that which he loves for himself. This is the degree of selflessness. This is a degree of sincerity. This is the requirement of total lack of jealousy, of envy. This is the purity of heart that Rasulullah spoke of. And that compassion, Rasulullah didn't just have manifold for his brother, for his fellow Muslim. Rasulullah had that grief and concern, that worry and that desire for everyone's welfare and good, not just for his brother. Not just for his fellow Muslim, but for the whole of mankind. This was the burden that bore down heavily on him. So Allah says, Did we not remove that burden off you? That bore down heavily on you, figuratively. Otherwise, the literal words are, That which broke your back. And what was that burden? Primarily, the burden of prophethood, the mess, the burden of responsibility. This is again a reference to the previous surah when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, fahada, did he not find you in search? And he guided you. In search of what? Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam had his connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But his desire to remove his nation and remove the people and remove the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from darknesses into light. Rasulullah's passion and his desire to remove the worship of men, of mankind, and of stones and idols, and instill the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to turn people away from themselves and from creation to the Creator. That passion, that desire was such that he overwhelmed the Prophet ﷺ even before prophethood. But he did not know how to do it. That's what he was in search for. And that's why Allah told him, مَا كُنْتَ تَدْرِي مَا الْكِتَابُ وَلَا الْإِيمَانِ You were not one not to know 
what is Iman and what is the book, the Kitab. But eventually Allah gave him the Qur'an. Allah gave him revelation. Allah gave him the tools to achieve what he wanted to achieve even before Prophet said. That's how clean his heart was. Allah says, did we not expand your bosom? And did we not remove that burden from your back, from, from you, which bore down heavily on you, which broke your back? And did we not elevate your name? Did we not raise your mention? This is very simple. This is one of the greatest gifts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Imam ibn Hibban rahmatullahi alayhi relates a hadith in his sahih. So do others. From Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu anhu who says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Jibreel alayhi salam came to me. And he said do you know what Allah means when he has said rafa'tu dhikrak I have raised your name and elevated your mention. Jibreel alayhi salam said to him, O Prophet of Allah, it means that Allah azza wa says, Never will I be mentioned. Never will I, Allah, be mentioned. Illa dhukirta ma'i, except that you will be mentioned alongside me. When people praise Allah, they praise the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alongside him. When Allah has mentioned, Rasulullah alayhi salatu salam is mentioned. Adhan, ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, ashhadu anna Muhammad rasulullah. Invariably, at any time of the day, in some part of the world, adhan is being given. In some part of the world. His very name suggests praise. And this one verse should be a beautiful reminder. Whenever we are reminded of, or we are told of, the Prophet Wasallam's name being abused. Abu Jahl did it. Abu Jahl would call the Prophet Wasallam Mudhammam. Mudhammam, which is on the same word scale, which is on the same scale as the word Muhammad. Muhammad, Mudhammam. Mudhammam means the one who is excessively condemned. The one who is excessively disparaged. The one who is excessively and increasingly and constantly abused. Is there anyone in the world with such a name? Someone who is forever, constantly, consistently, and excessively abused by many or all. Yet Abu Jahl gave that name to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Abu Jahl would say Mudhammam. He would never say Muhammad. He, used, he flipped the word, he made a play on the word, and he says, he is not Muhammad, he is Mudhammam. And he would always refer to him as Mudhammam. So, you know, and he wasn't just Abu Jahl, many of us. 
we learn that his own auntie, the wife of Abu Lahab, Umm Jameel, she would call him, she would abuse him, she would throw thorns in his path, she would cause him physical hindrance and nuisance, and she would verbally abuse him. Since she had that position of being married to his uncle, she was much senior, she had a position in the family, she abused that position. And she took full advantage. And because of the increased contact with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he wasn't able, always able to escape her presence. She would come to the house, he would see her. And remember, his two daughters were married to the two sons of Abu Lahab and Umm Jamil, his wife Umm Jamil. So she would constantly abuse him. And Surah Al-Duha, its revelation was preceded by her abuse and her taunts and jibes. And she said to him, your Lord has abandoned you. Uh, I hope your Lord has abandoned you. It seems that your shaitan has not visited you. So the Prophet ﷺ was abused by some of his own family members, Umm Jamil, his auntie, and even more so by Abu Lahab, his own uncle, his father's brother. People of his, uh, others of his own people, the Quraysh, Abu Jahl, one of the greatest Leaders of the Quraysh at the time, one of the greatest chieftains, one of the most powerful. He actually named the Prophet ﷺ Mudammam. Poets would compose verses satirizing and lampooning the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca and in Medina. But even before Medina, this is in Mecca, when the Prophet ﷺ had a few followers, they wouldn't even congregate. They wouldn't even pray together. There was no community, there was no society. These were a few, this was a band of disparate individuals who came together only in their simple belief. And yet, then Allah told him, وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ And we have elevated your mention. We have praised your name. We have raised your name. And in what, in what a manner, Allahu Akbar. Let this one verse be a reminder to us, whenever we hear of the Prophet ﷺ being abused. Abu, he was always abused. Abu Jahl called him Mudammam. Poets would lampoon him and satirize him in their poetry and in their verses. This has always been the case and it will always remain the case. Always. Imam Muhammad ibn Hassan, Imam Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Shaybani, rahimahullah, somebody informed him about others abusing him. So he said something to the effect, this has been attributed to Imam Muhammad as well as to other ulama, that alhamdulillah, that Allah has made us such at least, that Allah has at least made us such that we are worthy of having fingers being raised at us. The meaning is, if you're a nobody, nobody's got anything to say about you. But if you're a somebody, then every, everybody has got something to say about you. Good or bad. If you're a nobody, nobody's got anything to say about you. If you're a somebody, then everybody has got something to say about you. Some good, some bad. And who was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not been spared... And if Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam has not been spared, then who is spared? No one. 
Subhanallah. Forget people abusing others, people abuse themselves. Don't humans self-hate? Don't humans self-disparage? Don't humans... Aren't humans harsh with themselves? Don't humans hate themselves at times? We may not reveal it to others. It's remarkable, the irony is, those who abuse others a lot, or put on a mask and a veneer of confidence, of showmanship, of ostentation, of pomp, often all of this is merely to conceal their own self-hate. So it's ironic. We engage in the projection of guilt because of self-hate. We hate others because we hate ourselves. We criticize others because we are so critical of ourselves. And we merely project our faults and our weaknesses and our lack of qualities onto others. So it's human nature to criticize, to disparage, to abuse. And we just merely need a target. And the more prominent a target, the easier it is. The more prominent a person, the easier the target. In fact, in anger, in pain, don't people, people bypass even the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Even born Muslims and born believers, in their pain, in their anger, in their hurt, in their confusion, in their wallowing in self-pity, in their moments of indiscretion, don't even born Muslims and born believers abuse God, abuse Allah? So, in one's pain and self-pity and self-hate, one lashes out. And the more prominent a person, the easier the target. So people abuse Allah, people abuse a messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa So as Imam Muhammad rahmatullahi alayhi said, all praise be to Allah, who has at least made us worthy enough of having fingers raised and pointed at us. Which means, that means I am something. If you're a nobody, nobody's got anything to say about you. If you're a somebody, everybody's got something to say about you. And look at the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So people abusing the Messenger of Allah has always been the case. It was a case in his time. It was a case in his family. It was a case in his own household. Abu Lahab and Umm Jameel were members of his household, were they not? But what was the response? And in what should we take solace and comfort? Whenever we hear of the Prophet ﷺ being abused in any way whatsoever, think of what a fa'na dhikrak. And we have raised your name and elevated your mention. There is adhan. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashadu an la ilaha illallah, ashadu an la ilaha illallah, ashadu anna muhammadar rasulullah, ashadu anna muhammadar rasulullah. A baby is born all over the world. Such a large number of Muslims, such a great number of Muslims, and increasing by the day. 
by embracing and by birth. SubhanAllah, people are always concerned about the falling populations, the dwindling numbers of young working people. And you're aware of the statistics. In fact, there's, there have been campaigns of procreate for the country. You may have heard where some countries are concerned about the dwindling population. So procreate for the country, do it for the country. There's great concern about dwindling numbers here, there, everywhere. Of people leaving their faith, people abandoning their ideals, people abandoning their traditions. But you never hear this about Muslims. Yes, a few here and there, of course. People apostated during the time of the Prophet ﷺ also. But with Muslims, we're always hearing, whether positively or negatively, of the numbers. Whether positively or negatively, we're always hearing about Muslims. So many Muslims being born, so many people embracing Islam, so many people turning to Islam. So when a child is born, every child born in a Muslim household, as it's born, what's the first thing that the child hears? One of the first things. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah. Ashhadu anna Muhammad The name of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As that child grows up, whenever Allah is mentioned, he or she hears the name of Allah and the name of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Along with Allah. Adhan in the masjid. You go to salah. What's the sunnah dua for entering the masjid? Bismillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah. In the name of Allah and salutations and peace descend upon the messenger of Allah. You sit in the masjid, you listen to the, you wait for the iqamah. The iqamah, the call for, the second call for salah begins. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, ashhadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah. You begin your salah. And in salah, towards the end, what do we have? Tashahud. And in tashahud, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ala Muhammad. Kama sallayta ala Ibrahim. And even before that, Assalamu alayka ayyuhun nabiyyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alayna wa ala ibadillahi salihin. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu When a person gets married in fact the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam we become accustomed to referring to this as the khutbah of nikah now So when a person gets married what's the khutbah of nikah that we hear the verses of taqwa and then in khutbah after Allah, what do we hear? The name of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Before every speech, before every discussion. When a person gets married, they get married after the name and the praise of Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. When a person dies, 
when they came into this world, one of the first things they heard was the name of Allah and his messenger. When they die, one of the last things they will ever hear, or that is said before them, is the name of Allah and the name of his messenger. Even when they are in, jana- in Salatul Janazah, when we pray Salatul Janazah over them, what do we say? Allahu Akbar with the four takbirs. After the, fir- after the second takbir, is Salat and Salam upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And only then dua. So even before we pray for the deceased in Salatul Janazah, over them we praise Allah and we praise and remember the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And even when they are being lowered into their grave, Bismillah wa ala millati Rasulillah, by the name of Allah and upon the religion of the Messenger of Allah. We come into this world, we travel through this world, and we depart from this world, and we are lowered into the grave, and we are returned to the dust of the earth by the name of Allah and with the name of the Messenger of Allah. Prophet Allah told him, whenever I am mentioned, you will be mentioned alongside me. And remember, whenever we hear of the Prophet ﷺ being abused, think of what a fa'na laka dhikrak, and we have raised your name, we have elevated your mention. And think of the verse of Surah Al-Ahzab, which is, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا صَلُّوا عَلَيْهِ وَسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا Think of the verse. We hear this verse so often, and we even recite Salat and Salam quietly, silently, loudly, in many postures, in many moments, on the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But pause and think, what does this Salat and Salam actually mean? Think of it. What does Allah Azza wa Jal say? إِنَّ اللَّهُ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ Verily Allah and His angels, they send prayers, يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ to the prophets. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا O believers, صَلُّوا عَلَيْهِ Pray for him, send your prayers to him. وَسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا And send your greetings of peace and prayer to him. So we say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad. We send our salah, our prayers. We send our salam, our greetings. We send our prayers and our salutations to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Think of it. Even more than Adhan, all over the world, with over a billion Muslims, at different times, even those who are not engaged in formal ritual prayer, how often is it that we simply say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. In fact, in some, in, in, in some of the Middle Eastern countries, it's become a habit that when someone forgets something, in other places... Well, some of us, when we forget something, <laughs> but in many parts of the world, if they forget something, you actually observe them, they, they've forgotten something, they're trying to recall it, they're trying to retrieve it, and they say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. In fact, in, in, again, in Muslim countries, sometimes when a person wishes to implore another person, 
and appeal to their compassion, appeal to their sympathy, appeal to their soft-heartedness. I, they say, uh, I plead with you in the name of Allah, for Allah's sake. So when they wish to appeal to, not appeal in the name of, do not misunderstand me, they merely wish to appeal to the other person's sympathy and their soft-heartedness. They want to say something which disarms the other person, relaxes them, comforts them, makes them, breaks the ice, appeals to their sympathy and their soft-heartedness. You know what they say in Arabic? Salli ala Muhammad, salli ala nabi Meaning, pray salat and salah. So they reminded of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. so the other person says, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ala Muhammad. The prayer salutations and peace upon the Messenger of Allah brings peace to our hearts also. It does. It's very comforting, very soothing. So imagine, even apart from ritual prayer, all over the world, people are engaged in sending salat and salam to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In salah, out of salah, in normal conversation, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. We read any book before, after the name of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we have salat and salam. In any conversation, in any speech, so many salawat, so many salam are being sent to the Messenger of Allah. And forget the creation. Go beyond to the angels in the heavens. Allah's angels are engaged in sending salutations and peace to the Messenger of Allah. And even beyond the angels, Allah says, first and foremost, Inna Allah, verily Allah sends his prayers, his salutations, and his peace to the... Not prayers, but salutations, and his peace to the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, With so much peace descending on the Messenger of Allah, with so many salutations converging and being conferred upon the Messenger of Allah, what does it matter if some poet or a cartoonist or an author say something against Rasulullah? Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. What does it matter to spit in the face of the sun? Is merely to allow that gob to land on your gob. Merely, all it does is that the gob of spit lands on a person's gob. To spit in the face of the sun is merely to make a fool of oneself. So, we have praised your name and elevated your mention. And in fact, if you just look at the name of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, dhikr doesn't mean name. Dhikr means your remembrance, your mention. But I mentioned earlier that Abu Jahl, what did he call the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Mudhammam. Even whenever we pray salat and salam, let us think of this. Whenever we hear the name of Rasulullah alayhi salat wa salam, think of the depth of the meaning of his name and how Allah has made him praiseworthy. Muhammad, the scale of the Arabic word is such that it's a superlative. So Muhammad is related to Hamd, which means praise. Muhammad means one who is consistently, universally, constantly, excessively praised. That's Muhammad. 
Now the Prophet has two names. Both of them mentioned in the Quran. Muhammad. Ma kana Muhammadun aba ahadim mirjalikum. Muhammadun Rasulullah. Walladhina ma'a. Muhammadun Rasulullah. And ma kana Muhammadun aba ahadim mirjalikum. Uma Muhammadun illa Rasul. Qad khalat min qablihi al-Rusul. And others. So Allah refers to the Prophet وسلم, as Muhammad. That's his name. What's the other name by which Allah refers to the Messenger وسلم, Ahmed. As Sayyidina Isa والسلام, says, that inni Rasulullah ilaykum, verily I am Allah's Messenger to you. I come to attest to the truth of the Torah which came before me, which is before me. وَمُبَشِّرًا بِرَسُولٍ يَأْتِي مِنْ بَعْدِ اسْمُهُ أَحْمَدٍ And I give, I come to give glad tidings, as a bearer of glad tidings, of a messenger to come after me, whose name will be Ahmed. So he has two names, Muhammad and Ahmed. What do they mean? Muhammad means the one who is consistently, constantly, excessively praised. And Ahmed... Is also a superlative. Ahmed is on the scale of Af'al, which is a superlative. Muhammad is on the scale of Muf'al, which is a superlative. Both Ahmed and Muhammad are superlatives. How are they superlative? Muhammad means the one who is constantly, consistently, excessively praised. And Ahmed means the one who is constantly and consistently and excessively engaged in praise. The one who is constantly engaged in praise. So who is praising who? Allahu Akbar. This is the beauty of just the two names. Muhammad means that out of the whole of creation, the one who is praised the most, constantly and consistently, just like the Qur'an, may not be the most widely published book in the world. It may not be the most ancient scripture or book in the world. It may not be the most widely distributed book in the world. It may not be. But without doubt and without contest, it is the most widely read and recited book in the world. Children, millions of children memorize it. We won't find it in every waiting lounge or hotel cabinet drawer or coffee table. But we find it in more hearts and minds than one can care to mention. And we find it read and recited on more tongues than imaginable. It's the most widely read book. Similarly, Rasulullah may not be the most glorified, for we do not deify him, and we do not treat him as a deity. The Prophet may not be the one individual of creation who is the most glorified or worshipped. But without doubt, he is the one who is remembered more often than anyone else. So, Muhammad means the one who is consistently praised. And that's Rasulullah So of the whole of creation, 
Who is the most praised? The Messenger of Allah. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That's the meaning of Muhammad. And the meaning of Ahmed, the one who engages in the most praise, which is that of the whole creation of Allah, the one who is praised most consistently and excessively, and who actually has those quality, praiseworthy qualities which deserve and attract that praise, is the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, And of the whole of creation, the one who praises Allah the most, the most constantly, the most consistently, the one who praises Allah in the best manner possible is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is why he says on the day of reckoning, when people will be pleading with the prophets to intercede on their behalf with Allah, not for their salvation, but just to merely begin their reckoning, each messenger will guide the creation to the next messenger, saying that this day I am concerned about myself. This is his position. Eventually, that honor will come to the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ says, I will then fall into prostration. And he will remain in sujood, in prostration, for Allah knows how long. And in that prostration, Rasulullah ﷺ says, Allah will inspire me then with such words of praise that he has never been praised before. So Rasulullah was the one who engaged in the most praise of Allah in this world before he departed from the world. And in the Akhirah, he will be the one who will carry the banner of praise and who will praise Allah the best of his creation. Of the whole of creation, he is the most praiseworthy. And of the creation, he is the one who engages in the most praise of Allah. That's the meaning of Muhammad and Ahmed. And in just his two names, Allah has elevated him. وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ And we have elevated your mention. فَإِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى Verily with difficulty comes ease. إِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى Verily with difficulty comes ease. Without doubt, the world is not paradise. But it is not hell either. Suffering, difficulty, misery, are facts of life. And are part of our baggage and luggage on this journey. We cannot shed that luggage. And imagine if we were happy all the time, we'd be miserable. That's human nature. When Allah gave some of his servants man and salwa, heavenly food, they said, oh Allah, we're tired of this. We want We don't want these quails and these miraculous fruits off the trees. We don't want this man and salwa. We don't want this manna and salwa. We want cucumbers. We want garlic. We want lentils. Dal. We want onions. These are, this is, fumiha, well, qithaiha wa fumiha wa adasiha wa basaliha. So it's human nature. We're always wanting change. We have gold, we want lead. 
So if we were happy all the time, we'd want misery. We'd desire unhappiness. Human nature. We're always fluctuating. We don't know what we want. So, misery, suffering, pain, all of these things are part of our baggage on this journey in the world. But Allah has made it such. But with every difficulty, there is twice as much comfort. And we would never be able to taste the sweetness of relief without her having first tasted the bitterness of misery. So indeed, with difficulty, there is ease. Indeed, with difficulty, there is ease. And in difficulty, we are taught patience. And in relief, after grief, we are taught gratitude. That's why the Prophet wasallam said, عَجِبًا لِأَمْرِ الْمُؤْمِنِ إِنَّ أَمْرَهُ كُلُّهُ خَيْرٍ وَلَيْسَ ذَلِكَ لِأَحَدٍ إِلَّا لِلْمُؤْمِنِ How wonderful is the state of a believer. His whole state is nothing but good. And this is not for anyone but a believer. إِنْ أَصَابَتُهُ ذَرَّاءُ صَبَرُ وَإِنْ أَصَابَتُهُ سَرَّاءُ شَكَرُ If misfortune afflicts him, then he is patient. I.e. he is still rewarded. And if good fortune meets him, then he is grateful. He is still rewarded. So, إِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى There is much more that can be said about this, but we're running short of time. إِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى إِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى Verily, with difficulty comes ease, with difficulty there is ease. فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ فَانْصَبْ Allah told the Messenger wasallam, When you are relieved, i.e. when you have finished your job and your duty, then tire yourself, strive. This is a general reference to the Prophet O Messenger of Allah, whatever your duties, whether they are to do with your message, or whether they are to, i.e. your message of prophethood, whether they are to do with your preaching, or whether they are to do with your household chores, or your personal life, O Messenger of Allah, when you find a moment of relief, when you find a moment of freedom, when you find that you have some time on your hands, O Prophet of Allah, when you discover that you have gained even a momentary relief from your chores and your tasks and your responsibilities, what should you do? Fun sub, tire yourself. Again, tire oneself? Yes, tire yourself and strive. In what? In your Lord. In the worship of your Lord. And indeed, that's what the Prophet did. Inna laka nahari Allah told him in the verses, At night, stand before your Lord. During the day, you have great time during the day to continue with your message. So even the Prophet wasallam's preaching and his message was still secondary to his worship and remembrance of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, فَإِذَا فَرَغْتْ When you are free, when you are relieved, even for a moment, فَمْصَبْ Then tie yourself in the worship of your Lord. وَإِلَى It doesn't say in the worship of your Lord, but that's what the reference is. And this is understood from the next verse, the final verse is, وَإِلَى رَبِّكَ فَرَغْتْ 
Farghab doesn't actually literally means to make haste. Farghab means to have a longing and desire. And therefore you go towards that thing. So, وَإِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ farghab, And unto your Lord, see, unto, f- long for your Lord, be desirous of your Lord, make haste towards your Lord. And it's interesting, the translation, if I was to make a literal translation, it wouldn't be, وَإِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ farghab, And make haste to your Lord. It's, وَإِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ And unto your Lord. It comes first. What does that signify? Just like in Surah Al-Fatiha, it's, a, it's something to do with Arabic rhetoric and the eloquence of the Arabic language. That by placing the object before the subject or before the verb, this signifies Emphasis and exclusivity. So just like in Surah Al-Fatiha, the words are Iyaka na'bud. It doesn't mean we worship you, O Allah. The words are Iyaka. It is only you that we worship. So when the object precedes the subject and the verb, in Arabic at least, this this signifies emphasis and exclusivity. So here also, the subject, sorry, the object of the Prophet wasallam's longing and desire is placed before the Prophet wasallam and before his action, his desiring and his longing. So what does that show? Just like Iyaka Na'bud, it shows emphasis. And even more than emphasis, it shows exclusivity. So the message is for all of us. وَإِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ فَرْغَبُ if you long for something, if you desire for something, if you wish to make haste towards something, then let it be nothing other than your Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa ila rabbika farghab. I end with this. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand. There was, there was so much more that we could have shared about this, but I'll suffice with this. As you can see, the surah is very closely connected to the previous surah of Surah Al-Duha. In, this, in both these surahs, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala displays and demonstrates his love for the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He is comforting him, he's giving him solace, inspiration, steadfastness, strength. It shows how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved Rasulullah alayhi salatu wa salam of his creation. Allah loved someone of his creation. A human being. And what a rank. And this shows throughout the Holy Quran, I'll reserve this for maybe another occasion, but Allah has a, another thing which we should remember. The Prophet ﷺ was always abused. And he was a very sensitive person. Prophet ﷺ was extremely sensitive. So next time, before we call someone too sensitive, let us remember that the Prophet ﷺ was sensitive. Soft, Humble, noble people are sensitive. And sometime, and next time, before we accuse someone of being sent too sensitive, a good retort would normally be if one says to the other, 
Or you're being too sensitive. Maybe you've been too insensitive. Before we accuse someone of being too sensitive, let's just pause and think, am I being insensitive? Soft, humble, quiet, loving, lovable characters and people. Good-natured people. People who are sincere and who mean well. Those who are noble-minded and soft-hearted. This isn't a universal law, but it's uh, empirical that at least many, most are like this. They are sensitive people. Sensitivity goes hand in hand with modesty and bashfulness. This is why Rasulullah says, in what do we learn from the hadith? Al-Hayā'u min al-Imām. That modesty and bashfulness are part of faith. And he says, That if you have no shame, then do what you want. So when a person sheds their bashfulness and their shame and modesty, they have no inhibitions, they have no boundaries, no limits. And that means, if a person is being, if a person has haya and modesty and shame, which go hand in hand with faith and with humbleness and humility, then how can such a person with all of these qualities be insensitive? So when a person has faith, has humility, has nobility and soft-heartedness, such a person is sensitive. The Prophet ﷺ was very sensitive. Indeed he was. And he was so sensitive and so soft, he wouldn't say anything to anybody. And throughout the Qur'an we learn... That you know who would stand up, well, not figuratively, who would make a stand on behalf of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Who would intervene? Allah azza wa jal. When he got married to Zainab bint Jahsh radiallahu anha, the sahaba radiallahu anhum were eating. And they were carried on talking after eating. He kept on coming and going, seeing are they still there? Imagine the modesty of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his sensitivity and soft-heartedness. That he couldn't bring himself to tell them, look, you've eaten, I need to retire, now can you leave? Prophet sallallahu didn't say anything, he just kept on going and checking. Allah azza wa revealed verses of the Qur'an. Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu la tadkhulu buyutan nabiyya illa an yu'dhana lakum ila ta'am. O believers, do not visit the homes of the Messenger of Allah. And, and then the full verse. Until you are called. And then there's Do not remain seated after eating. Allah intervened. Sayyidina Umar and Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu anhuma argued in front of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhuma suggested someone as the head of a delegation. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam solicited their opinion. Umar radiallahu anhu recommended somebody else. So one said to the other, by Allah, you've only recommended the other person out of spite and in opposition to me. So he says, no, I haven't. They both be- uh, raised their voices and began arguing with each other. Prophet ﷺ, even though he was a messenger of Allah, in their heat, in their passion, they temporarily engaged in a heated debate and raised their voices. Prophet ﷺ remained silent. Allah Azza wa Jalla revealed verses of Surah Al-Hujurat. Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu la tarfa'u aswatakum fawqa sawtin nabi. And before that, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu la tuqaddimu bayna yadayillahi wa rasoolih. O believers, do not 
Place yourselves before Allah and His Messenger. And in the next verse, O oh, believers, do not raise your voices before the Messenger of Allah. In fact, forget his father. One could say, well, after all, Abu Bakr and Umar anhu were his fathers-in-law. Subhanallah, even with his wives, he was like that. Allah intervened on behalf of the Messenger of Allah with his wives. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I won't go into the details, merely to placate and to appease his wives, primarily Hafsa radiyallahu anha, and the uh, others, he, he said, to, he, he told them, I make this haram upon myself. So to appease his wives and to placate his wives, what did he do? He said, I make this haram upon myself. Allah Azza wa Jal intervened and revealed verses of Surah Al-Tahreem. Ya ayyuhan nabiyyu lima tuharrimu ma ahalla Allahu lak tabtaghi mardata azwajik. O Prophet of Allah, why do you make unlawful and haram that which Allah has made halal and lawful for you? Tabtaghi mardata azwajik, merely seeking the pleasure of your wives. Allah is most forgiving, most merciful. قَدْ فَرَضَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ تَحِلَّةَ إِيمَانِكُمْ وَاللَّهُ مَوْلَاكُمْ وَهُوَ الْعَلِيمُ الْحَكِيمُ Allah has made it obligatory, O Messenger of Allah, upon you. Allah has made it obligatory on you, O Messenger of Allah, to unravel your oath and to break your oath. Allah is your guardian. And then later in Surah Al-Tahreem, Allah told Aisha and Hafsa radiyallahu anhuma, إِن تَتُوبَا إِلَى اللَّهِ فَقَدْ صَغَدْ قُرُوبُكُمَا وَإِن تَظَاهْرَا عَلَيْهِ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ مَوْلَاهُ وَجِبْرِيلُ وَصَالِحُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمَلَائِكَةُ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ ظَهِيرٌ If both of you repent, then this is what you should do. For indeed your hearts did sway, i.e. To, uh, towards inconveniencing and hurting the Messenger of Allah. But if you don't repent, and if you both come together against him, then know that verily Allah, he is his guardian, and Jibreel, and the pious believers, and after them, behind them, the angels stand in God. So Allah intervened on behalf of the Prophet ﷺ with everybody. Rasulullah was so modest and so bashful, he wouldn't say anything. He would, he would remain seated. There would be a gathering. Prophet would, he, he needed his privacy. He needed to go inside. The Sahaba عنهم, in their eagerness, they would remain seated. Here, I'm eager to remain seated, and I can see the agitation. <laughs> but the Prophet ﷺ, he needed to go. The Sahaba anhum remained seated. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he wouldn't say anything. Allah then told the Sahaba anhum that, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا قِيلَ لَكُمْ تَفَسَّحُوا فِي الْمَجَالِسِ فَفَسَّحُوا يَفْسَحِ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ وَإِذَا قِيلَ وَإِذَا قِيلَ شُزُوا فَنْشُزُوا يَرْفَعِ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ And when it is said to you, rise, then rise. Allah will raise those of you who are believers and the people of knowledge amongst you many grades. Allah appreciates your desire for learning. Allah acknowledges your longing for learning. And your passion for keeping the company of the Messenger of Allah. But be mindful of his privacy. Be mindful of his needs. 
So Allah said, He wouldn't say anything. The Prophet would remain seated, so calm, so quiet. Allah would intervene and told, told the Sahaba when he needs to go, let him go. When you have to go, you go. Leave his homes. Let him go to his home. And he wasn't just the Sahaba, even his father-in-law, both Abu Bakr and Umar don't raise your voices to him. And not just the father and not just the fathers-in-law, but subhanAllah, even the wives and even the most beloved of the wives, even Aisha radiallahu anha, Allah warned her in the Qur'an. And he did all of this on behalf of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He was very sensitive, very modest, very bashful. The Sahaba say he was more modest and bashful than a virgin behind a veil. That was Haya of Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam. That's how sensitive he was. But Allah would always intervene and Allah would always declare his love. That was his care for Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam. That was his attention and his affection for the Messenger of Allah. And here again, those verses were later in Medina, but even before in Makkah al-Mukarramah, Allah had already told him, O Messenger of Allah, be content. Your Lord has not forsaken you. He has not abandoned you. He has not taken a dislike unto you. Allah has always cared for you. Allah will always care for you. Allah has expanded your bosom, lightened your burden, removed your burden, and in fact, Allah has elevated your name and your mention. And in response, in a reciprocal manner, O Messenger of Allah, whenever you are free, tie yourself in the worship of your Lord, and only and exclusively to your Lord, you should make haste and long and desire no one but Allah. I end with this. I am mindful of your needs and your times. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant all of us the ability to understand his verses. May Allah make us amongst those who appreciate these teachings of the Holy Quran. Honor his Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah enable us to love the Messenger of Allah as we should. For this is how Allah loves him. May Allah enable us to understand, to remain calm, to remain content, to remain inspired, and to remain comforted, even when we hear of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam being abused. Of course, it's hurtful, it's painful, it grieves, it saddens, it maddens. But, let us never forget how the Messenger of Allah responded, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends his salutations and his peace and blessings upon the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and how Allah has elevated his mention. And if his name is Muhammad and he is Ahmed and his name is forever taken along with the name of Allah and there are so many salawat and salam all over the world on him at any one given time. When we enter this world and leave this world and make our journey through this world by the name of Allah and with the name of the Prophet ﷺ ringing in our ears. And when we witness the love that people have for the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, this reminds me, uh, on, on one such occasion, I won't mention the details, but in, in a Muslim country, where an Arab Muslim country, where you had the two top football teams playing against each other in a football match in one of the tournaments. And people are very passionate about football in this country. 
someone from there told me once that the people of our country survive and thrive on just two things, jokes and football. So uh, they, they love their football. And footballers have a certain image, and even in Muslim countries, footballers have a certain reputation and a name and a certain image and a certain lifestyle. But subhanAllah, when these two top teams were playing against each other in a tournament, that tournament or that particular match took place at a time when there was a lot of controversy about something in relation to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, where he had been abused. And there was, a, there was a great controversy about that. Subhanallah. Totally unexpected. All 11 players from each team came out into the arena with special shirts. They had their normal numbers. But rather than their sponsors being displayed on their shirts, all of them had written in Arabic. Both teams, all 22 players, Fidaka Abi wa Ummi Ya Rasulullah. That may my father and my mother be sacrificed for your sake, O Messenger of The point I'm making is, this is how deeply penetrating the love of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is into the hearts and minds of the believers. That even from those that you wouldn't normally expect, people show such passion for the love of Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam. Allah has instilled and embedded the love of the Messenger of Allah in the hearts of the believers. Be as they may. The hadith of Bukhari, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu says, there was this man who used to play antics, and the companions had nicknamed him Himar. He would make people laugh. And I've told you before, how would he make people laugh? He just played jokes, play antics. He would go to someone, buy something, and say, I'll give you the money later. He would go to the Prophet ﷺ and say, Ya Rasulullah, here's a gift for you. So the Prophet ﷺ would accept it. Then the person would come to claim his money. So he would say, where's my money? Where's my payment? So he would say to the Prophet ﷺ, pay him. <laughs> so he would play such jokes and such... He would, he would have such antics. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum nicknamed him Al-Himar, the donkey. Unfortunately, one of his, he had a weakness for drink. And repeatedly he was caught drinking and brought before Rasulullah <laughs> Once someone said that, look at him, time and time again he's brought before the Messenger of Allah and yet he pays no attention, he does not desist. Prophet said to them, do not abuse him. Well, someone actually cursed him. So the Prophet said, do not abuse him in that manner. For by Allah... What I know of him is that he loves Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa So the love of Rasulullah alayhi salatu is such that even in the hearts of the weak, even in the hearts of those whose appearance, whose behavior, whose misdeeds, whose deeds, whose apparent character may not suggest such love, there is a deep embedded entrenched love Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam, and that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And that is part of the meaning of We have elevated your name and your mention. I end with this. وصلى الله وسلم على عبده ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد الله لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadul Haq and has been brought to you by Al Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on double zero double four one two one. Double seven one three triple seven, or by email via sales at akstore dot com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions. All rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting, or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.